he reigns forevermore. You may be seated. And if you would please take your attention to the screen for a video, thank you. Well, good morning, Westgate. We are the Sanduskies. We are Adelaide and Cora, Maggie and Ethan. And we just wanna say thank you guys so much for what y'all did with your Lottie Moon offering and how you have supported us over the last year. Um, just to know that you guys have been praying for us and have been uh, caring for my mom and dad in the ways that you have been. We just want to th say thank you. Thank you so much, Westgate. Um, may God bless y'all in this coming year. Uh, thank y'all very much. Amen. Now let's look at a scripture, if you would join me, please. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The Word of God says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and at different ways. In these days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has appointed Him heir of all things and has made the universe through Him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I'd like for us to take a moment just to have a quiet time of reflective prayer and let's think about our Father who created all things through the Son. And not only that, the Son, through his powerful word, sustains all things. And then even beyond that, he gave to the Son the responsibility of making purifications for our sin through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. What an amazing God we serve. What an amazing plan he had for us so that we could spend eternity with him. Let's spend a few moments in prayer.
stems an endless mercy tree. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness I 
the days of our life. May we praise you with everything that we have each and every day. May Jesus be magnified in and through us. God, may we be that salt and that light that people say, I want to know what it is you have. Can you tell me about it? May we be that type of people that just reflect your glory. And may we let ourselves be used by you each and every day. God, this time that we're spending together right now, I pray that you will use it to glorify yourself. As your word is now open and preached and proclaimed, we listen carefully to you. And may we respond in obedience. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's just sing that chorus one more time. In all my life you have been faithful. In all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. That last song really reminded us of uh, just how good God is, faithful to us. Hey, were you faithful this week with the, uh, the homework that you had? A couple of weeks ago, Jeff was reminding us his dog ate his homework. Did your dog eat your homework from last week's message? Remember we were supposed to be praying for each other? How many of you did that? You, you were faithful to pray for somebody else. Good. How many of you received some information from somebody that just let you know that they were praying for you, they, they were trying to encourage you? How many didn't get a word from anybody? Just curious? Okay, you turned a card in. All right, well, I think that's a really good strategy for us to stay with. Westgate, 8 in the morning, 8 at night, whichever works for you, and whatever works during the day, just to be praying for somebody in the church family, somebody that you're aware of, maybe somebody in your section. We all have pretty common seats. We don't move around much. Uh, we kind of stay there so you can get to know the people around you, pray for them, pray for somebody in the church roster, pray for somebody in your Sunday school class. Uh, look for an opportunity to pray for other people and be very cognizant of that. 
Uh, and then Warren did mention about signing up for the men's dinner. Uh, thus far, we have 10 guys signed up. So I'm hoping that we have a few more. Uh, and, and it's so typical that we always sign up at the last minute, kind of wait to see if there's a better alternative, something better is going to come along. Uh, it's kind of like the guy, you know, going in for his wedding. He's looking around to see if maybe there's somebody better just before he goes in. You know, just this is a great opportunity, guys, and I hope that you will be there. Uh, and what I'm going to ask you to do is look for the communication card in front of you. And if, if you are going to be there, if you take that communication card out right now, and if you would just say, I'm going to be there, put your name down. Even if you've signed up anywhere else, this will be one solid, one place, one stop shopping in which we know for sure who's going to be there. And so if you would fill out a communication card, if you're a man, you plan on being there next Sunday at five o'clock, uh, we'll have a wonderful dinner for you. It won't detain you more than 90 minutes. Some really cool, fun things we're going to be doing. So if you'd fill those out, and then if you would make sure that those get passed to the center of the church right now. And then our deacons, if you would just stand up in, in the aisles, deacons of the week, uh, and just collect those cards right now so we will know at the end of the service who all is going to be going. And I know as you, uh, and you can sign up in the atrium, but it'd be nice to have everything in one place. And then uh, if you're having trouble with the pens, I, I recognize we do have a problem. In fact, last week uh, after the service, a lady approached me and complained that the pew pens weren't working and they have not worked for a very long time. She was complaining about how she couldn't finish her index card and get that filled out. She wasn't able to take sermon notes with the pew pen. And then she said, if, I don't, if, we, if we don't get new pens, I'm leaving the church. I was so overwhelmed, all I could say is, honey, if you leave Westgate, we'll have to drive to church in separate cars. So, so, since we don't want to lose our church pianos, we have ordered new pens, and hopefully they will be here this next week. But uh, fill those out, guys. Make sure you're a part of that. Continue with, yeah, just continue with the, uh, what we are doing here today. I want us to be reminded of what today represents, January 22nd, uh, 2023, the 50th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Uh, we don't want to gather as a church without making some mention on that. I'm not going to preach on that today, but just what an unbelievable experience we are having uh, in our country now. And to know of what happened, many of you remember where you were uh, in 1973, but you won't remember that day because it, it wasn't a monumental day in which it made big news. Just something happened that day. The Supreme Court decided that abortion should be available to any woman that so chose to do that. And here we are 50 years later, many of us never believing that we would see the day in which that decision would be overturned. And, and I know that uh, for a number of people, they, they, they get their, their cues from political leaders. And I just want to say again, uh, as a spiritual leader of this church, make sure we're getting our clues, our directions, our guidance from God's word. That's the foundation of which we, we are guided with. And, and that could be that a, a pastor could lead you in the long, or the long way. And, and so make sure God's word is what guides us. And so I wanted to read to us uh, from Psalm 139, the definitive statement about life. There's so many others. But if you have the Pew Bible, you can follow along and you'll have the exact translation that I'm reading from on page 975. 
Psalm 139, David speaking long before there was any thought of an ultrasound of, of what was going on inside. He had the, the uh, ins inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen these words in Psalm 139. So if you're struggling with this decision, and, and you know, there, there are people in our congregation that have experienced an abortion, you stand on equal ground with all other believers. We are forgiven by the grace of God. Nobody is a second-class Christian. We're all saved by the grace of God uh, equally. And, and so when we think about this, sometimes we think about an us versus them, and it's not. It's what does God call us to do? Thank you for the grace of God. It says, for, the, for you created me, speaking to God, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Who, who decides about life? God. He is a creator. He's the one who created life. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Oh, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that we would be guided by it. Sometimes we ourselves expect others to be guided by your word for decisions that we disagree with, yet we ourselves choose to deviate from your word. So I pray that you would help us to be faithful to how your word guides us. Thank you for the, the commentary that we have from David as he thinks about life thousands of years ago, millennia ago, and saying you are the creator. You are the one who forms life. You are the one who decides about life. We are yours. Thank you for life. Thank you for what we have seen transpire in America. To see a decision made that now gives all of us the opportunity to say, do we really believe what we say we believe? We know there's great conflict, there's great divide over this issue. And God, our hearts remain saddened that we live in a time in which the culture of death will be seen as such a, a virtue. Oh, I pray that you would help us to see, that you would remove the scales of our eyes to see as you see. Thank you, Lord, for what we, we are able to rejoice in oh, over this decision 50 years later to see a change of mind and direction. And may we seize the opportunity to follow hard after you. Thank you for your word, and I pray now that you would guide us from your word as we wrap up this uh, book of James, that you would guide us to better understand how you would call us to live. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, when you hear the word, watch out, what do you think about? Well, two ways. It could be, look to avoid something. You're going in a direction and someone says, watch out, there's danger ahead. Or it could be, someone is sending you out with maybe somebody in your family and watch out for one another. Take care of each other. Well, we're going to come across that dynamic here in Scripture today as we come to James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. And we're seeing that James is not saying, look to avoid but look out to help. I remember when my dad was in seminary, this was back in the 60s, 
That's where I started elementary school, was in Fort Worth, while my dad had left a career with Sun Oil Company later in life to go into ministry, a calling that he felt that God had made on his life back when he was a teenager. Uh, but he had gone against that for 10 years, and he was uh, on track for a very successful career with Sun Oil Company, and, and he felt like God was calling him to fulfill his calling of ministry, and so he went back to seminary, went to seminary. Those were my early years in elementary school, and part of the seminary process for him was to go with friends down to the Fort Worth Rescue Mission. And many of you have heard the, the terminology. Oftentimes you're called different things today, things like Star of Hope. But the rescue mission was a place in which men who were hard, had a very hard experience in life, destitute, homeless is what we would call it today, they were in danger in many ways. They were hopeless. And these seminary students would go down there and they would preach and they would share the love of Christ with them. And I remember my dad taking me down there and it was such a memorable experience in my life. I was in third grade. And I'd never seen so many men in such dire straits, one place and one time. And here were people trying to rescue them from danger and despair. And I look back on that experience and I think about the church today and I re realize that in many ways a rescue mission is a, is a visual picture of what the church is to be. We're in the business of rescuing people from the power and the penalty of sin by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. We are called to be a rescue mission. What is our rescue mission? We find it in James chapter 5 verses 19 through 20. Here's James drawing his book to a close. He's one of those pivotal verses in this, in this book, writing as a younger uh, brother of Jesus, saying that we as followers of Christ should resemble who Jesus Christ is. He wasn't interested if people saw the family resemblance, in fact, that Jesus was his older brother. He wanted people to see the family resemblance of are we being more and more like Jesus Christ. And when he got to this point in James 1.22, he said, be doers of the word, not just hearers only. So as he comes to the very end of this, he said, I filled this whole book up with ways to be doers of the word, and now you're going to find that some people won't do that. So what is your responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ? We see it in James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. It's a, the Pew Bible, page 1885, if you want to follow along. It says, my brothers and sisters. Again, he's writing to Christians. There's one section in chapter 4 that he's been talking about non-Christians and a call for them to repent. Some would say that this passage of Scripture refers to those who are not Christians. And I think we should always be mindful that when we see a passage like this in Scripture, is God wooing us to himself? Because we can even be within the confines of a church. We can be on the membership role of a church. We could be an active attender and still not know Jesus Christ truly as our Lord and Savior. So as he's talking to Christians, he says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and this passage is a, is a statement, the word wander there is the same word that was used to describe planets, because in the ancient world, they would look up into the sky, and they would see that the stars were fixed, that they wouldn't move, but the planets would. And he's talking about people who would be moving away from truth, who wander away from the truth. Someone should bring that person back. 
They've wandered away, yes, but someone needs to rescue them and bring them back. Because remember this, he says in verse 20, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now let me just back up for just, just a moment. There are a couple, not many, there are a couple of commentators that go back to the word, whoever turns a sinner from the error is saying that means this is referring to people who are lost. And so as we open this up together, we need to say again, could this apply to me? Am I one who is not truly a follower of Jesus Christ? And when you turn them away from their sin, you will save them from death, and that could be eternal death, or it could be a lifestyle of destruction and cover over a multitude of sins. What James is saying is we have a mission to rescue and that mission is defined by the gospel. But what is the gospel? Could you define what the gospel is? I've been confronted with that thought many times over the last couple of years. The people say, it's the gospel. I look at my bookshelf, preach the gospel, the explicit gospel, God is the gospel. What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. And I think it's important for us to define what is that good news? Because someone said, well, just live the gospel, be the gospel. We need to understand what that means. So a very brief definition that I've put together is this. The gospel is God's plan for rescuing us from sin. That is the biggest, broadest brush that you can paint with, and then you begin to work from there. It's God's plan. It's not our plan. We didn't initiate it. It's God's plan for rescuing us from sin because we need to be rescued from sin. Look at, first, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Here's what it says. All this is from God, talking about this idea that we can be new creations in Christ. All of this is from God. It's not from us. It's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, as followers of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. It's God's initiative reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us, as followers of Christ, the message of reconciliation, that we are to be sharing this gospel, this plan for rescuing the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. We have what is called the gospel, and the gospel literally means good news. What is the good news? That God has a plan to rescue us from our sins, and that is to be rescued from the power and the penalty of sin by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. You'll remember about a dozen years ago in 2010 that 33 miners were trapped about a half mile beneath the surface in a mine in northern Chile. They weren't discovered to be alive for 17 days. This mammoth rock had fallen, 770,000 tons, twice the weight of the Empire State Building, had sealed them off from the rest of the world. And they were buried nearly a half mile beneath the surface of the earth under some of the hardest rock in the planet. 
and nobody knew if they had survived. They kept drilling down, trying to see if they made it to the rescue station down there in the mine. And finally, on day 17, as they were drilling down, there was a a faint tapping that could be heard. Communication was transferred back and forth, and they came to realize that all 33 of the miners, the only ones known to be lost, had actually survived. And for the next 52 days, they lived on the gospel, the hope, the good news that they would be rescued. You see, when people have good news, when they have hope, that's what the gospel is. When they have that, they can thrive in life. God came to save and rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin through the power and presence of Christ. We are, all of humanity, are like men drowning in radioactive water. There are two problems with that, right? First of all, you have the immediate concern that you are drowning. And if someone doesn't save you, you will die. And that's where all of us are. We are drowning in our sin. But then we are snatched from our sin by the power of Christ. But then what happens? The power of penalty, the power of sin, we've been saved from the penalty. We're no longer drowning. But the power of sin can still hold sway over us. How many Christians do we know that are still fighting with those those perpetual sins in their life, trying to to break that stronghold? Because what happens is, is we give the devil a foothold, and that becomes a stronghold that turns into a stranglehold. We've seen that in our lives and the lives of other people. So the gospel is not just about you're snatched from your sins and you are saved for all of eternity. You are saved from the power of sin in your life. So we don't have to live with sin always being master over us. So we're saved from drowning, but we've been in this toxic water, so now what? We need to have something that will minister to us. That's called justified, sanctified, and glorified. The theological terms that you're very familiar with, we've talked about them many times, but just to rehearse them quickly. We're justified to begin with. That means that we pray and we say, God, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please save me from my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. At a point in time, just like a couple making vows at a a wedding altar, at a point in time they become husband and wife. You become a child of God. And then you are sanctified over a season of your life in which God is making you more and more like Christ. That's God's work on the power of sin. You're saved from the penalty of sin when you're justified, and then you're being saved from the power of sin when you're being sanctified to be more like Christ. And then ultimately we will be glorified in which we will be saved from all sin and all presence of sin in the very presence of God for all of eternity. And so that is the gospel for us. And we, are, we need to understand that. Instead of just using terminology that we don't understand, we need to understand that God has a plan And his defined plan is to rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin, not by something that we do, but by the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. Because when we receive Christ, the very Spirit of God resides inside of us. The same Spirit, Paul would talk about, that raised Christ from the dead resides in us as followers of Christ, giving us the power to live victoriously, as Paul would write about in Romans chapter 8, as more than conquerors through Jesus Christ 
our Lord. And so as James is writing, he wants us to understand the power that we have in our lives and the necessity that we need to be on the business of trying to rescue other people from the power and the penalty of sin. Why? Why? Because we're all prone to wander. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, is a great passage of Scripture that talks about the coming Messiah. And if you have Jewish friends you will find that they disagree with that because they will say that Isaiah 53 is a talk about, about Israel, the Jewish people. When Isaiah was writing that, he's talking about the Messiah, the one to come that would redeem and rescue us from our sins. And there he says, all of us have gone, gone astray like sheep. We've each gone and turned to our own way. That's what the Bible tells us. That's why we need to be rescued because our natural inclination is to drift. We've all been on airplanes, talked about this many times, but when you're on an airplane, you're not very confident when you know that about 90% of the time the airplane is off course. It doesn't mean they're so far off course they're going to end up on another continent, but it means they're just slightly off course, and so they're constantly having to make course corrections so that you end up at the right destination. That's life for us. We all drift and if we're not corrected, our drift will continue and continue and continue until we get way off track. And that's what James is talking about. If any of you should wander, if you should drift from the truth, someone should bring you back. And we like that. If I'm out there in the straits, am I out there in the deep weeds, someone's going to come after me. But that's what the church is supposed to be doing, is going after those in the deep weeds. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man. What's the end result? Death. We can drift believing that this is a better path, a better direction, only to discover it is a pathway to death. The Jews believed in two paths. There were only two paths. There weren't 10, 20, 30. We live in a world today, they're like a gazillion ways to get to God. You pick it out, it'll all work out. The Jews and scripture define it as two. A path to destruction or a path to life. A path to death, a path to life. A path away from God, a path to God. One of two. The Bible's very clear about that. And some people are graduates from the school of hard knocks. In fact, some have graduated summa cum laude. I mean, just, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Groucho Marx was, was a comical guy, and he would say, you know, learn from the mistakes of others. You, you can't live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself. But some people just seem to like, I, okay, that, I know that's what you said in your word, but I'm, I, I think there's a better way. And so we end up with all these dents and dings and bangs and we're drifting and we're in a place that we don't want to be. And here is James saying, the calling of the church is to go and bring those people back. And when you're those people that are out there, that someone will come after you. That watch out, not look to avoid, oh, and the church can do that, can't we? When someone drifts away, and I'm as, I'm as guilty as any, I get so frustrated when Christians don't do what they're supposed to, especially the one that's talking to you now. I get so frustrated. It's like, you know better. Why do you have to be probed and probed and all this other stuff to get you to go in the right direction? You know better than doing that. People leave, and, and it's in, invariably all the time when people drift they don't want you to come after them. Have you ever drifted? Any of you ever drifted? Did you want someone coming after you? You just wanted to do the drift. Right? Am I, am I making sense? 
we like to drift, and we don't want people saying you're drifting. It's like, who are you to tell me? Man, don't you remember what Jesus said about that speck in the eye stuff? One of the things about the speck in the eye is that when you have something in your eye, that is the most resistant place on your body for someone to be coming to get it. So we're resistant when we have a speck in our eye or a log in our eye. We don't want someone coming after him. And James says, I don't care. That's your calling as a Christian is to go after them. You know, we have, we define it as three nets here at Westgate because all of us are naturally falling away from God. If you just, just, if you just do nothing, you will fall away from God. None of us wake up and say, wow, I've not gone to church in two years. And I feel closer to God than I've ever been. Now, if you say that, you're deceived. We don't drift towards God. We drift away from God naturally. And so we have three nets in our church, and we call them Sunday school deacons and staff. Knowing that everybody has a natural inclination to fall, we try to stay in touch with one another through Sunday school, through our deacon ministry, through our staff, knowing that people will drift. All of us will drift. We have that tendency, so we try to stay connected with one another. That's why we have this men's ministry this, this next week an opportunity for us to just try to keep staying on track. Je- Jesus wrote about, uh, talked about that, and you read about it in Matthew chapter 13 if you're reading through the Bible this year. He talks about the four soils. Here is human response to the gospel, this idea that we need to be rescued. Here's human response. The good seed comes, the gospel, that God has a plan. The information comes, God has a plan to rescue you from the power and the presence of sin through the power and the presence of Christ. And that seed falls on our life, and it's like concrete. And nothing happens, and the devil sweeps it away. And that same news comes, and for some people, they're a little bit more receptive. But they're very shallow, and they don't really want to delve to better understand what this means to have a relationship with Christ And so in the shallow ground, they just fizzle and die. And then he talks about the soil that is a little bit more productive, but it has all these thorns there. So as it begins to sprout up, the thorns and the weeds cover it over and choke it out. All the distractions of life, the pleasures of life, the things that we drift towards, they choke it out. And so what Jesus is saying is, there's four responses to this gospel God's plan to rescue and save us from the power and penalty of sin through the power and presence of Christ, there are four responses and only one of them leads to eternal life. And we oftentimes think, well, all the other three are saved. That's not the message. Only one leads to eternal life. And so James is giving the strong warning at the end of the book for us to be on this mission of rescuing. Why? Because it reduces spiritual carnage Listen to what he says again. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring them back, remember this. Here's what you've done. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of the way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Again, two different ways of interpreting that. Either save them from eternal death, eternal separation from God, because the Bible talks about a fact that whoever is not in Christ when they die will suffer eternal separation, eternal death from Christ. Or it could mean death in a destructive pattern of life. We have all known people who have drifted away and they bought into these other ideas and the more sin that they brought into life, the more damage it did to their life, right? Sin never brings good into our life, though that's the promise. And so what he's saying is when you do this, you are salvaging a whole bunch of spiritual carnage. 
So that should be an encouragement to us as a church that when we go out and try to bring people back, whether they are lost, we don't have to figure it out. We just say we want you to, to come in and experience who Christ is. And that might mean that they're saved. It might mean that they're already Christians and you're bringing them back to repentance. I was at a conference a couple of years ago and I thought this was very well said by the, the guy who was leading out. He says, we spend so much time talking about rededicating our life the Bible doesn't talk about rededication. It talks about repentance. It's when you say, okay, I believe that I'm truly a follower of Christ, but I need to repent from the sin in my life, and I need to turn away from my sin and turn back to God. And so James says, remember, you are doing good. See, as church, our goal is not to end up with an empty facility. Did you know that's the goal of the gym? All these gyms that, that made a whole lot of money this last month, You know what their goal is? For you not to come back. Because if everybody came, they couldn't contain you in their gym. That would be a problem. And you know, for those of you who work out and you go to a gym, in January it's really crowded, right? And you just say, I wish you guys would leave because I'm the serious guy, I'm gonna work. Gyms are designed for you to not come. And sometimes I feel like churches are designed that way. But churches are designed for us to come together and to encourage each other in this journey so that we won't drift and continue in our drift. Why is James writing this? Because James was a rescue. James was a reclamation project. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, it says that Jesus presented himself as a resurrected Lord to his brother who did not believe in him. And so James is saying, I was rescued, and so I'm going to spend my life rescuing other people. James was a rescue because that's what Jesus does. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said, Son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. One of the most definitive chapters in all of the Bible about this rescue is Luke chapter 15, in which it talks about three rescue missions which talks about the rescue of the sheep, the rescue of the coin, the rescue of the son, known as the prodigal son. Jesus says, I have come to rescue. Even his name means that. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 and 23, you are to give him the name Jesus, meaning because he will save his people from the sins. Even his name means rescue and to save. All this took place to fulfill what the The prophet wrote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. The power of God resides with us. Let me ask you two questions. First of all, are you rescuing others? And secondly, have you been rescued? Are you rescuing others? I was a lifeguard for one summer between my junior and senior year in college. And I saved one person. And it was the most unusual experience because I was not even on the stand to be guarding the pool. I was over in the the shack in which you're behind a closed door with an open window in which you collect all the towels and stuff that people want to put in baskets in there. And I was sitting on a stool. And all of a sudden, as I was looking across from about here to the back of the sanctuary, I saw this little kid with this panicked look on his face, clawing at the water, and he was going down. And I know what superhuman strength feels like, because in one single bound, I was like Superman, I I jumped through the window, 
took about two steps, dove into the pool, grabbed the kid, and pulled him up. And I was amazed that nobody else saw the kid. It wasn't like I was a rock star or anything. It's just in that moment, I saw him just at the right time. And when you looked around the pool, what, what baffled me was that everybody else was oblivious to what was going on. Everybody else was playing and having fun, having no clue that this kid was in grave danger. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They're in desperate straits, clawing to get to the top of the water, and everybody around is laughing and having a good time, oblivious to the situation. And God says to us as Christians, we are called to rescue. Are you rescuing people? Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's time to say, God, would you make me a current rescuer, not just somebody that tells stories about being a lifeguard 100 years ago, but one today. And then the second question is, have you been rescued? Have you been rescued from the power and the penalty of sin? God loves you and has created you to have a relationship with him, but because of your sin, you need to be rescued. And that's why Jesus came to make us right with God to give us release from the, the power of sin and the penalty of sin by his presence and his power. We can be changed for all of eternity by repenting of our sins, meaning we turn away from our sin and we turn to Christ. We get off the pathway to death and we get on the pathway to life and invite Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. Friends, as a church family, I just want to remind us that, you know, throughout the years, I've been amazed at how many people have left the church, not just to go to other churches, that happens. But how many people have just left the church? Just quit going. Haven't been in church in a long, 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 long time. People are living in sin that have just drifted away. And it's so easy for us to say it feels uncomfortable. I tell you what, every last time I've talked to somebody, every single time I've talked to somebody about their sin, it's been uncomfortable and they push me back. Never once has someone said, thank you so much for pointing that out to me. I really appreciate it. They call me things, say things about me, don't like me, but that's what God's called us to do. So I want to encourage us as a church to be rescuers. You know somebody right now that needs to be rescued, right? How many of you know someone right now that needs to be rescued? Maybe they're lost, or maybe they're a Christian that have drifted. Pray for them right now, okay? Let's pray. God, we do pray that we would better understand this definitive statement of what the gospel is. It's not just a term. It's a plan. It's your plan for rescuing us from the power and the penalty of sin by the power and presence of Jesus Christ. Only you can do that. Lord, you've called us just as James is, is highlighted in just two quick statements at the very end of his book. Rescue those that aren't doing what this book says. God, I pray that you'd help us as a church to do that. To be intentional about praying for those who have drifted away to be intentional about being in, in touch with them. Let them know that they're loved and they're cared for. Not that we look down upon them, but we say we stand on level ground at the foot of the cross and we would reach out to them. God, we know that maybe in a, a gathering like this, someone has never been rescued from the power and penalty of sin. Maybe been in church all of their life, but have never truly surrendered their life to Christ. I pray that today that they would voice a prayer similar to this to begin a relationship of following after you they would pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. 
and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Oh, Lord, might we all do that, to follow hard after you with all that we have. Help us to be a church filled with rescuers who are thankful that we have been rescued from the power and the penalty of sin by the power and presence of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. If you've made a decision to follow after Christ, I want to encourage you now to take that next step. Talk with someone. Help them take your next steps of following after Christ. We can do that by talking with you at the connection desk after the service in the atrium. We'll have deacons at the back of each one of these aisles. Their wife will be standing there. They can pray with you and help you with other decisions. Maybe you want to pray with someone. Whatever steps you need to take now, let's do that together as we stand and we worship together and respond. Your goodness is running after it's running after me. Your goodness is running after it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after it's running after me.